Hopefully by now you've had the chance to listen to Sarah Jackman and I running down our top 10 of the most significant property cases of the year. If not, I highly recommend that you do. Don't worry, I'll wait for you. All done? Great. But you don't just have to accept our reasons for selecting the top three cases of 2020. Oh no, we have asked some experts and good friends of EG along to offer their thoughts on what made the big three quite so big. Starting at number three with Alexander Devine Children's Cancer Trust versus Housing Solutions Limited, a significant Supreme Court decision on restrictive covenants. How significant? Let's ask Emma Humphreys, partner at Charles Russell Speechley's, for her thoughts on that. Well, to me, Alexander Devine is to restrictive covenants what we saw from Coventry and Lawrence when it came to rights of light. There's been a feeling for a few years that there's a tendency in the upper tribunal towards discharging or modifying covenants under Section 84. Now, those who sit in the tribunal say that's not the case, but it has felt a bit like it sometimes. And perhaps that's encouraged developers to feel that the law is unlikely to stand in the way of their plans. A bit like we had with Rights of Light back in 2005 after we had the Midtown decision, which allowed the developer to continue with its development in return for making a damages payment. Now, just as it did for Rights of Light in Coventry and Lawrence, the Supreme Court has clarified the proper approach here to the law when it comes to discharging or modifying covenants under Section 84. And the important point here, just as we've seen in many rights of light decisions, even since Coventry and Lawrence, is that property rights matter. And any party who tries to ride roughshod over them will find they face difficulties when they come before the courts. You may remember we saw the case of Ottercroft not long after Coventry and Lawrence, where a developer who tried to steal a march on its neighbour was penalised with an injunction to remove parts of its development. Now, in my view, the decisions of the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court here, although their reasoning differed, they both remind the lower courts and tribunals that restrictive covenants are rights which need to be properly considered and protected in appropriate circumstances. But just as we had with rights of light, it's important to remember that a balance has to be achieved between these competing rights of parties. Alexander Devine certainly isn't an anti-development decision as shown by the fact that the Supreme Court has said that once any ground under Section 84 is satisfied, the tribunal's discretion to refuse an application should be cautiously exercised. Next, our second placed case of 2020, Cardtronics Europe Limited and others versus Sykes Valuation Officer and others. The impact of this Supreme Court decision is straightforward to state. After years of uncertainty, the court confirmed that ATMs in supermarkets and retail premises do not have to be separately rated for business rates, to the relief of the major supermarket chains who fought the case. Here, Roger Cohen, partner at Brian Cave Leighton Paisner, who acted for Tesco in the proceedings, reflects on his involvement in Cardtronics. The law is a strange profession. Imagine a plumber who is not interested in radiators or a surgeon who is not bothered with scalpels. Many transactional lawyers say, I'm not interested in the law, but if there is one thing to make them change their tune, it's a Supreme Court appeal. The ATM's case did not disappoint with colleagues who said to me, well done on having the experience, win or lose. And it wasn't just one case, but tens of thousands of appeals across the portfolios of the full rate payers including my client Tesco, 
who were the parties to the ATM case. All these appeals were needed to deal with the proposals made by the valuation officers. The Supreme Court decision has already launched 100 seminars. It would have done win or lose. So let me share with you some personal reflections rather than the law. All the parties, the ratepayers and the VO's team, proved themselves capable of agreeing the facts and who would cover what ground and for how long. So to minimise the time taken in front of the court and save unnecessary costs. The Supreme Court hearing straddled the two worlds we experienced in 2020. The hearing in early March was in one of the courtrooms at the court building. The day before, we learned that some firms concerned about coronavirus were limiting meetings to 10 people. The judgment was handed down in May over the Supreme Court's video platform. Sadly, one of our surveyors disturbed my examination of Lord Carnworth's bookcase by calling me on my mobile whilst Lord Carnworth was summarising his conclusions in order to find out the result. The outcome was a decision that has already been cited in case law. Win or lose, it would have been a privilege to be a part of what was, by every measure, a big case and to work with Rebecca Campbell, Jess Hopewell and the others in the brilliant team at BCLP. It was six years from the first hearing to the final appeal. In that time, I lost first my mum and then to coronavirus, Michael Goldmeyer, my mentor who had advised me to get into rating. And grandchild Theo Cohen was born. Perhaps one day he will be a subscriber to EG. We certainly hope so, Roger. And may we point out how such a subscription makes the ideal Christmas present. Last, and by certainly no means least, we have our number one case of 2020, Duval versus 11 to 13 Randolph Crescent Limited, and a clean sweep of our top three from the Supreme Court. The court ruled that the landlord of a block of flats in Maidervale was not entitled to grant a licence to a lessee to carry out work which would breach an absolute covenant contained in a lease of the flat without the consent of the other lessees. It is a decision that set the cat among the pigeons. Here to offer their opinions on the unfolding implications of Duval are Joanne Wicks QC and Ema Murphy of Wilberforce Chambers who acted for the unsuccessful appellant in Duval. So yes, I think the Duval case is really interesting because in one sense it looks as though it's a really small scope it's just about the meaning of a few words in the lease but actually it's got such important ramifications for so many people because those words appear in thousands of leases up and down the country so yes lots and lots of of, of interesting points that I think are going to be coming our way. Yeah and I think one of the things that's um that particularly masks its importance is the way that the Supreme Court decided the case was sort of to say, well, it's actually fine in this case. You've got a relatively broad alterations clause. The, le- the lessees will be able to do everything that they need to do as routine maintenance. I do query what's going to happen in the lots of cases where there's no way of reading the alterations clause as widely as that. And there's going to be some difficulty with lessees wanting to t- undertake works, which everyone before this judgment would have assumed they were able to do. And are now being told, actually, no, I'm afraid you need the consent of everyone else in your block before you're able to do this. That's going to be a real kicker down the line, I think. 
Joanne and I were discussing this briefly before and she said, well, obviously decisions like this, it always takes a while for there to be any disputes arising out of it. So it's going to take a couple of years before people really get to the point where it's showing up anywhere public. But I actually think that timeline might be kicked off even further at the moment because a lot of people are working from home. So the kind of alterations that Duval will impact are ones that people aren't undertaking at the moment because everyone's at home. So actually there's a bit of a delayed response, certainly not from landlords who are looking at this and thinking we need to come up with a policy, but from tenants' perspective, I think it's actually going to take a little bit longer than usual for this to to kick in as uh, the impact of this to be fully seen. Yeah, I've certainly been um, after advise landlords who've got a, a number of uh, properties, you know, the estates effectively, on what they're going to do about implementing the Duval decision, uh, because it's definitely changing the way that they're going to have to deal with their tenants and the way that their tenants are going to have to deal with each other. So there we have it, the final word on our top cases of 2020, recorded, of course, just two days before the Supreme Court delivered one last present potentially reviving prospects of a third runway at Heathrow. Would R on the application of Friends of the Earth Limited and others versus Heathrow Airport Limited have cracked our top 10 if handed down in time? Alas, we shall never know. But we do hope that you have enjoyed EG's legal coverage throughout the troubled year that has been 2020 and wish you a very Merry Christmas and hopefully a prosperous 2021, when we will be right back here with all the major property law developments.